welcome to The Theology of the Buddy, a podcast for Catholics who love the beauty of the church's sacred tradition. This is episode 66. Wait, order 66? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> my name is Chris, and I'm joined by my theologically minded co-hosts, Mike and Brooke. If you're somebody who uh, is looking to grow in their faith in new ways, looking to connect with other faithful Catholics who love the Lord and want to help you get closer to Him, or you're simply looking for other Catholic voices who will speak the truth without compromise, you've come to the right place. We're not experts, but we've learned a lot over the 15 plus years we've been best friends, and we want to share that with you. So, if you haven't yet, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to ensure you get the best Catholic candid conversations delivered to you every week. While you're at it, don't forget to follow us on social media so you can keep up to date with all the great content we are sending out. Also, you can find all of our show notes and past episodes at theologythebuddy.com. All right. So, on today's podcast, we are diving back into our Know Thyself series, where we talk about how self-knowledge will help you in your pursuit of uh, a life of holiness and growing in virtue. So, I'm really looking forward to it. Today, we are talking specifically about the four temperaments. But before we, we do that, how are my wonderful friends in Dorchester land. I'm still just basking in the glow of being called theologically minded. That's so generous of you. <laughs> I, am, I am, I am trying, I am trying to be theologically minded. <laughs> Good. Good. It's only Speaking. taken me like six months to almost finish confessions by Augustine. Does that count? At least you're trying. I'm trying so hard. I'm so dumb for that book. <laughs> English minor, right, Brooke? Work to get through. It is so difficult. And yes, English minor. I'm proud of it. I feel like a lot of people go into confessions, and this is what I did, go in thinking, I want to read about the life of St. Augustine. And then you finish hearing about his life story and you're like, wait, there's still like three quarters of a book left. And then he just starts <laughs> talking about all these different deep theological concepts and stuff. Yeah. Discussions on time and memory and uh, the concept of matter at the beginning of creation and before creation this is just, it's, it's something. I love it, but I'm also like, you know that quote where Andy is just like, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, but I'm really good at it. It's like, I'm not sure what I'm doing and maybe I'll get it later sometime. Maybe I'll be good at it later. <laughs> I just don't know what I'm doing. This has been our official book review of Confessions. Who was the, um, the bishop? Was it, it wasn't Jerome, was it? Ambrose. Ambrose. Yeah. So thanks yeah. a lot to St. Ambrose for uh for helping that whole process. And of course to St. Monica. You know, yep. she's she's responsible for all the pain you've been going through these last six months. So make sure you tell her. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> Your son's book was too hard to read. Yeah. <laughs> um 
yeah, it's it's been a delight. It's uh, it's been good, tough Excellent. but good. Meanwhile, I'm just finishing Krista's paintings, <laughs> <laughs> looking for more quotes to upset the girls with. Oh my gosh! Speaking of which, can we can we backtrack a little? Yeah. So. By the way, huge shout out to everybody who listened to the last podcast. Like, you almost doubled our numbers in terms of listens, you know, week over week. So, thank you for doing that. We haven't heard from a whole lot, but we actually heard from a few people who were saying how much they loved it. So, good job, ladies. Well, well done. Yeah, it was a really good podcast. I thought you guys did a good job. Did you listen to the whole thing? Oh, (laughs) he shakes his head no. Yeah, but uh, just kind of embarrassed me on the podcast. No, I was just curious to hear what you had to say. <laughs> but um, the to the end. Okay, I stopped a bit early. Sorry. <laughs> but the uh, what was the the quote from Christus Vinci that needed to be qualified, right, or clarified? Well, yeah, because uh, I think uh, it was a really strong image that kind of struck you. Oh, it did. <laughs> but you lost some of the context of it. Yes. And again, I said that I hadn't actually read it. So like the yeah. book, I haven't read the whole book. Yeah. So yes, please Mike clarify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he talks about NFP in that part. Primarily he's talking about um, contraception. He mentions NFP in the context of, NFP being abused, being used with a, a contraceptive mentality. And it's in that context that he mentions the idea that he he thinks that um, at our judgment, we'll see um, children that God wished to create if we culpably through our own selfishness prevented him from being able to create these children that he wished to. So it's a, it's in the context of NFP, it's not saying don't use NFP, you're going to hell, sinner, blah, blah, blah. But I think it is highlighting the seriousness of discernment mm-hmm. and how, yeah, if you're using NFP in your marriage, it's something you really have to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's completely in line with the church's teaching on NFP, right? Right. Right. Yeah. It is a powerful and emotional image, right? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It's something that, like you said, it can feel like a gut punch, right? Like, for a melancholic that struggles with depression and anxiety and a couple of other issues, I, yeah, it was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. 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 The more on melancholy later. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I mean, even, even Steve Skocek, I mean, who's kind of a, um, who's obviously a trad, loves the faith, loves traditional, uh, Catholicism. Even he, in his last podcast was like, you know, don't even, don't even start on NFP. Like I'll punch you in the head. <laughs> you know, he's, I mean, he's, uh, he understands that there are circumstances where it can be licit to use it. And I think, um, just from a personal perspective, which I, I unfortunately, Julie didn't say this in the podcast, but um, like the whole reason why our son John is alive today 
is because we started using and tracking with the Creighton model of NFP, of natural family planning. We had experienced miscarriage after miscarriage, and we were getting no help from anywhere else. And uh, it was only when we started using the Creighton model um, and getting connected with a good, solid Catholic doctor um, that we actually found hope and were able to carry our baby almost to full term. I mean, he was born five weeks early. Um, but I mean, he, without NFP, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're grateful for it. I mean, it helped us to conceive and, yeah. um, and, to, and to keep baby in, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, just, just as a side note. So trads who want to, who want to trad shame people for using NFP stuff it like <laughs> just stuff it. We, well, and we, yeah. and, and for our experience, like we didn't, uh, we didn't have miscarriages and we didn't really have any issues conceiving. It was all postpartum that, well, and even during the pregnancy, I guess, like I was diagnosed with low progesterone, which is, you know, super important when you're pregnant. Um, so I was able to keep track of that. And we also got in touch with a good doctor that made sure that I had progesterone because I was only producing about 25 to 30% of what was normal before pregnancy. So we were able to get me on, um, good, healthy progesterone to, uh, to help us. And then you know, after the baby and whatnot, I was able to get uh, progesterone treatment for severe postpartum depression. Thanks. Natural family planning. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it can be a marriage saver, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm not going to lie after dealing with the trauma of a miscarriage, especially at 19 weeks and the absolute hormonal crash that happened with mm-hmm. my wife. Like, I never wanted to see that happen to her again. And I mean, it wasn't her fault, but I mean, like the mood swings, the, and in, in just the difficulty that it created, I mean, it could kill a marriage. It almost, it almost did, to be honest. There were, there were nights where I was going to bed, like thinking, Lord, like you got to help us through this. I don't know if we're going to make it, you know? So, you know, again, like. You have to you have to give credit where credit's due, and and you know again, the trad shaming it does does no good on this, um, especially if you're you know not using it with a quote unquote contraceptive mentality, you know like just stuff it guys yeah. who wanna I, shame I want to shame. I don't want fancy us. car. I just don't want to die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I still stand by that although his imagery was kind of intense and maybe harsh, yeah. he wasn't judging any anyone individually. Yeah, I, I agree. Think he was laying out yeah. the the legitimate warning that people need to reflect seriously on it and not mm-hmm. it wasn't meant to <laughs> to judge people. Yeah. No. So no. I do appreciate what he said, even though it was it was kinda, harsh, but he's kinda scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Harsh scary but he's not wrong no it's just harsh no exactly <laughs> which sometimes we need to have harshness it's okay no. no true that true that there there is a median approach i guess you know like and i and i think that's i think that's possible and we've, 
we've had a lot of median approaches and in lots of other things. Sometimes it's okay to just be firm. Yep. <laughs> we need more firmness in our good leaders. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe switching gears. Um, so today on the podcast, we're getting into the discussion of the four temperaments. And um, before we do that, uh, I kind of want to talk about why we're talking about this, especially given right now, like right now in the church, everything is on fire. Thanks very much, Pope Francis, for just throwing some gas on the uh, on the dumpster fire of 2020. You did a great job, you know, but like if you listen to this past week's podcast today, you know, obviously we're recording before it even goes live. But if you listen to the past week's podcast with Coach Kramer Soderberg, he talks about how we should respond to the craziness that's going on right now in the world and the church. And his response was, you can't change what's happening in the world and, and you know, the institution of the church. We can't. But what we can change and work on changing is ourselves, is responding wholeheartedly and generously to the call that God has given us through our baptism to become perfect as he is perfect. And I mean, that's a big deal. And that's a lifelong process. And But it's possible. It's possible to become a saint. And we're called to be saints. So, you know, we could go on a comment rant, which if you're in our VIB group, you understand we've already done it over and over and over again, especially myself. I've lost my cool in that group a number of times this past week. Um, but the the real response at the end of the day is working on ourselves and becoming more and more the the man or woman that God has has called us to be, right? Yeah, and that's the reason we started this whole series, right? Mm-hmm. That was kind of when we were thinking about starting up the podcast again for this season. That was the thinking, right? We need to do something. We can't just be another podcast that's just reacting to bad news and being mad about it. We got to do something good. Yeah. And yeah. Let's be honest, at a time where we're all at home anyway, and on our own, we should all have time to reflect on, you know, the person that we see in the mirror and the person that we are inside, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm. getting, get to know ourselves, like away from the busyness and distractions of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, how did we, uh, we said that we would follow up on how our challenges went from the first know thyself uh, podcast. So how'd it go? Uh, it went pretty well at the beginning. Um, it was a little challenging to refresh everyone's memory. Um, we were doing daily examine and trying to add that to our daily prayer routine. Um so it did take me a few days to find a stable place for it because, um, you know, just the routine of getting ready for bed and stuff, I didn't, you know, have it in there. So I forgot it a few times, but, um, 
it has actually made its way into actually being a routine to just, you know, while getting ready for sleep, sitting down and doing the exam for a couple minutes. And, uh, I found following the um, outline of fish eaters was helpful for me. Just the basic um, point form method of it to keep it really simple. Um, and yeah, one thing I found um, last weekend, we went to confession and preparing for it was easier than it's ever been in the past because really i was just like well you know i've been doing the exam and so i can easily think back to what things have i been thinking about every night that <laughs> you know I'm, it's kind of like that bigger examination examination of conscience flows much more easily how did you find it brooke uh yeah doing the exam has been great um it's it's not hard to do um but uh you become more conscious of like uh certain things as you reflect on the entire day and uh, i agree with mike that going to confession and you know examining your conscience before confession is a bit easier because again you've you've already thought about these things and you're ready to present them um yeah so i also challenged myself to try and do 10 minutes of silence which uh it was fine uh i haven't done it every single day after that first week or so because man i am terrible at it i am terrible at contemplative prayer which only shows me that i should probably keep doing it <laughs> um but yeah at first it felt that those 10 minutes were really long but then uh then it didn't seem so long and then i just found myself struggling to stay focused mm. but uh maybe i'll become more focused i don't know yeah quit being know. quit being effeminate and keep doing it brick okay <laughs> no i i mean yeah it it can be tough you know we all have that monkey brain right that uh yeah you know loves to to go off and think about other things but you know even if we're distracted, you know, lovingly, not not harshly, but just, you know, bring your mind back to God and just be like, okay, you know, I'm sorry I took my mind off you, Lord, back, back on you and off the laundry list of whatever's going on in my life. Like, you know, I'm, can, I'm just not sure how, what I'm supposed to do. Like, am I just supposed to not think of anything? Should I just talk to him? I, I have no idea. <laughs> there's there's lots of methods out there. I can make a there's great a recommendation. There is a imagine. podcast episode on it. Yeah. Um but yeah, uh but yeah, there's um Father David Nix has a podcast right now, um Padre Peregrino, and he actually he does great work actually. He has a what he calls a VLX and that's just dedicated to giving you topics of mental prayer and walks you through what to meditate mm -hmm. on so yeah we'll oh, put that okay. in the show notes but uh i'll send it to you as well in the vib group 
Wee. Yeah. Um, on my side, uh, I failed hardcore. And I think part of the problem is that I, with, with a baby, with a 10 month old baby, it's hard to find a routine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm able to squeeze in the things I've committed to with, you know, mental prayer and, and the, um, uh, like divine office and things like that. But yeah, just, just adding another little devotion like that can actually be really tough. And, uh, yeah, so I did do it, but I didn't do it every day and I definitely failed more than I succeeded. So, but nobody asked me how I was doing. Thanks a lot, listeners. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. pushing the blame onto somebody else. Yeah, it's definitely their fault. Yeah. <laughs> definitely hear you on like, even though it's only two minutes, sometimes it feels like hard, right? Like, mm-hmm. because it's not in my routine, mm-hmm. often I'd be like, climbing halfway into bed and then I remember it and I'd be like, oh, I gotta get back out of bed and do it. <laughs> yeah. And for me, the hard, hardest part is like, yeah, but I already talked about that. I already talked about that yesterday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because um, like, I'm pathetic and I'm a horrible person. And well, just... why'd you do that sin again, Brooke? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, um, no, you guys get it. <laughs> no, it's it's tough, but you know, you gotta keep you gotta keep pushing in. And uh so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get back up on the train and and keep going with it. And uh please ask me about it. You guys in particular, Strauss fam, ask me about it because I'm woefully effeminate when it comes to you know, doing the right thing. So I'll have please. I'll send you videos of Evie and Vincent just be like Uncle Chris, you need to examine your conscience, you sinner. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. great. <laughs> cool. So so let's hop into it now that we've spent about 25 minutes talking about other things. So um, we want to talk about, in particular, the the four temperaments. Why, why get into this? So today, in particular, um, many people have become nearly obsessed with personality tests. You know, every job that I've done, they've encouraged us to do the Myers-Briggs. Right now, especially in Christian circles, like evangelical circles, but even creeping into Catholic circles, uh, which I have an issue with, and maybe we can do a podcast on this later, is the Enneagram. Um, so, Everybody's getting obsessed with these these personality tests. However, traditionally, there's really only been four temperaments that people generally fell into that it was understood that people fell into. Uh, you know, in my research, I read a bunch of different ar- articles, but I found that Wikipedia kind of summed it up well. It says, quote, the four temperament theory is a proto-psychological theory, which suggests that there are four fundamental personality types, sanguine, choleric, melancholic, and phlegmatic. Most formulations include the possibility of mixtures among the types where an individual's personality types overlap and they share two or more temperaments. Greek physician Hippocrates described the four temperaments as part of the ancient medical concept of humorism, that four bodily fluids 
affect human personality traits and behaviors. Modern medical science does not define a fixed relationship between internal secretions and personality, although some psychological personality type systems use categories similar to the Greek temperaments. So, yeah, like I said, in the history of the world, you know, ever since ancient ancient Greece, they've been using these four personality types. Um, it's in the writings of the saints. You can see it all all the way through there. They make mention of you know, I was just even reading from St. Therese of Lisieux, you know, and, and I mean, she's only, you know, she only died in uh, the late 1800s, but even she makes reference to the melancholy personality. And, you know, it's only been since re- recent times, um, Carl Jung and, and Freud and like modern psychology and, and psychiatry that these, these personality tests have kind of grown. So according to storepoint.org, it notes that there is a difference, however, between temperament and personality. Temperament, temperament is your innate wiring from God, what you're naturally predisposed to, like your eye color or fingerprint. It's unchangeable. It's why some people are drawn to the spotlight and the stage, and others are content with a cubicle in a quiet office. You don't choose who you are, and you can't change how you're wired, although many of us try. Personality is how you display your thoughts and feelings. It's influenced by things like birth order, education, experiences. It can and does evolve over time. Just think about the high school version of you compared to the man or woman you are today. The years and experiences in between have changed you. Your temperament is the why behind your personality end quote. So, you know, I don't know about you guys, but like, while I think personality tests are fun, they're a lot of fun. In my experience, I find them to be inaccurate. I can do three different Myers-Briggs tests from different websites, and they all come out with different results. Temperaments, however, are far more broad and generally don't change, and, and they're generally pretty accurate. So, yeah, continuing on. So, in the interior life, Uh, It is important to know one's temperament because it is in knowing how we are wired that we can better approach the ways that we can attempt to grow in virtue. The truly magnanimous person, for example, someone like our Lord, would have had the positive aspects of all four temperaments held in perfect balance without any of the negative aspects. So while in our fallen nature, one temperament generally predominates and a second, secondary temperament kind of sits shotgun, um, the end goal is to not be subject to the temperament, but to hold them in subjection to our will and intellect. But we can't do that unless we really know what the four temperaments are. So do you guys want to talk quickly about the four temperaments? Or did you have additional thoughts? Sure. Yeah, I just wanted to fight storepoint.org and tell them Father Ripperger disagrees. <laughs> with with what in particular? The unchangeableness of temperaments. I think it's more of a matter of um, their terminology, though. Okay. Because um, I think Father Ripperger is using temperaments just to mean the categories. And he talks about how um, you can change which temperaments apply to you and they will change as you grow in virtue. And um, what's the name of the 
podcast lady. Oh, uh, Julia Monin. Yeah, Julia Monin said the same thing that if you if you grow in virtue, the way that the four temperaments manifest in your personality will change mm-hmm. as you approach being more Christ-like and you start to manifest the virtues of other temperaments and less of the vices associated with your primary temperament. Right. Or you go the other way, the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Become more vicious, etc. Yeah. I don't I yeah, I don't think he's the storepoint.org is not saying that you are like forever stuck in a temperament, but I think it like for us we understand that like say you are who you are is more melancholic, but you have grown so much in virtue that you are exuding those other personalities. If you were to become lax in the, in the work of virtue, you would probably lapse back in my opinion, probably to your predominant uh, temperament. Would you not think that? Yeah, maybe. And that probably depends on how deeply and how long you've been practicing those virtues. Yeah. Father Ripperger talks about how basically the brain will over time change and adapt. And the way he expressed it is it seems like these changes can be long-term or permanent. But anyway, I'll I'll let Brooke explain what the temperaments are. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Just Just interrupting and taking forever. Yeah. But just maybe as a side note, before you start, Brooke, I I read this really good quote um, from the book, The Temperament God Gave You by Art and Lorraine Bennett. Uh, It's from Father Conrad Hawk. And he says that, quote, every temperament is in itself good. And with each one, man can do good and work out his salvation, end quote. So, you know, really innately, these, these temperaments can be good. So let's, before we get into them, don't start like comparing them and saying, well, this one is better than this one, you know? Um, like, I'm not saying you would, but like for our listeners, you know, it's easy to kind of say, well, you know, this this one, because of the potential faults that are associated, can be worse than another. But I I don't think that necessarily is the case. So anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Hop into it, Brooke. Let's, let's do this. Okay. So... I listened to a podcast by Julia Monin, and I also listened to Father Riberger as well, both talk about the temperaments. I quite like Julia Monin's explanation as it was easier for me to follow. Um, and the way that she described temperaments was how we initially react to something or how we, yeah, basically how we react to our environment, how we react to things that are presented to us. And um yeah, so there's four temperaments. And uh, yeah, should I just get into briefly describing them? Both of the men are nodding their head, rolling their eyes. I think I just killed Mike. Um, so there's choleric, there's melancholic, phlegmatic, and sanguine. And to briefly summarize each of them, choleric would be, as Julia Monin describes, the rabbit. From Winnie the Pooh, someone that likes order and to be in control, to have power, um, strong will, determined, all that kind of stuff. Phlegmatic would be Piglet, the peacemaker, will do whatever anybody tells them to do, doesn't like conflict, 
Then there is the Sanguine, which he attributes to Tigger. Loves people, super energetic, you know, wants to have fun all the time. And then there's the Melancholic, which I relate to. That's Eeyore. And, you know, he likes to think a lot, kind of a kind of a pushover, kind of <laughs> very perfectionist, a bit of a pessimistic person. Look, I'm doing it right now. I'm literally just making it terrible. <laughs> I think we'll attach the episode in the show notes so people can listen to that. I don't I don't think we need to get too deep into the descriptions do we well i mean maybe we can we can kind of talk about the the way that we have experienced it in our in our Mm -hmm. own lives and 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 maybe that's kind of how we can parse it out so yeah mike mike what were you gonna say maybe predominant faults and stuff too like that was the most important thing that struck me from Father Ripper's talk was for each of the four temperaments, there are most commonly predominant faults that yeah. go with them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that can be important in knowing yourself. Yeah. So one of the the fun things that we decided to do is we decided to take personality tests or temperament tests um, to find out what our personality or what our temperament was, I should say, and um, and then share it with one another. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna do that again with you guys um, and kind of share a little bit of our reactions to this from one another because it's a little some things are su- su- super surprising and mm-hmm. um yeah so like maybe maybe we'll start with with Mike when Mike did the personality test all of us all of us called phlegmatic like oh, yeah. we just were like this is Mike Mike is a guy who doesn't want to get into arguments. Uh, he's a bit of an idealist. Uh, he like he he fits in anywhere, like anywhere, anywhere we go, anywhere I've been with Mike. Mike has been the guy that everybody can get along with, doesn't have mm-hmm. an issue with. They're just like this cool guy over here. You know, he's cool. Um, How the Ripper say like they're kind of like unremarkable or something inert Inert. (laughs) (laughs) when talking about the faults of phlegmatic people yeah they tend to just sometimes just sit there not do stuff (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. and they and they like it when people make decisions for them Mm -hmm. yeah and that's true honestly like i definitely uh, have that trait like I would rather not be the leader when I'm doing something. I'd rather have someone make the tough decision and then me have to just be like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. Even if it's not a good idea. Yeah. That's the temptation, right? Yeah. That's complacency. That's, yeah. that's the fault that goes with it is like the temptation is just to go with the flow 
even if it's even if it's not right mm-hmm. to just let things be and that's the temptation in like growing in the spiritual life too like father ripperger said about phlegmatics that some what did he say they're like the least likely to become saints yeah something like that <laughs> because they tend not to make the effort to grow in holiness they tend to just be lazy and float through life and and you know not root out their vices i think you're doing a great job thanks you're welcome i wrong though in 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 my experience of you though i mean i would certainly say that you have a lot of the positive aspects of phlegmaticism if that's a word but you know i i see at times when you have like definitely done the non-phlegmatic thing where i would almost have uh thought you were choleric in a in a personality choleric being a little bit more a little bit more stubborn a little bit more hot-headed a little bit more mm-hmm. opinionated and uh you know how often have we gotten in arguments you and i and you're just like no chris that's stupid shut up <laughs> i mean you you know it you know that we've had those kinds of conversations um and but the at others, the, <laughs> like they're not absolute obviously like everyone's to some extent a mix but one thing that's super phlegmatic about my reaction even in that situation is if i have to say chris that's wrong it makes me deeply uncomfortable i hate that <laughs> <laughs> it takes so much effort for me to actually argue with someone be like no you're wrong <laughs> You make it look so easy, Mike. <laughs> you can see on his face when he's trying to think of a response and it it takes a little while. Mm, yeah. He does that it all the true. time on Twitter. You see his face on Twitter? Wow. Well, no. That's a I new feature. I see him when he's looking at his phone, responding to someone. He's just like, hmm. I'm like, what are you oh. doing? Somebody's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's so awkward because. But it's awkward for me too, watching him try and. (laughs) Just like, I can't help you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I get in the state where I feel a responsibility to say something, but I also hate arguing with people. So, yeah. 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 But yeah. I mean, I would say if, if anything, you're phlegmatic and maybe your shotgun. Your uh your BRs on the pit guy is uh is choleric. Would you agree with that, Brooke? Would you say that about Mike? Uh the shotgun? Yes and no. I mean, if I'm looking at the description of a choleric, uh not really. <laughs> Which one would you pick for me? So you're really likable. So part of you is sanguine. You know what I mean? I feel like more people would think that you're a sanguine over a choleric, but that's like, that's like not even like shotgun. That's like sitting in the back seat. Like he's just kind of like, hey, I'm back here. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing. Some people have two types that are almost equal. Yeah. For me, I'm like very, very phlegmatic and the other three are almost zero. Yeah, so the other three are really well balanced. 
one was actually sanguine but it's it's really close with the other two so it's probably not super indicative <laughs> yeah 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 i don't know if you did this with julie by the way but brooke and i actually also took this test for each other oh yes i answered it as if i was brooke and yes yes i remember that mm-hmm. yeah think about that we have time but anyway go ahead brooke oh you want me to talk about myself yeah yeah so when i took the test not surprising uh i ended up being more melancholic than anything else and choleric was actually last place my shotgun is also sanguine which surprised me because i totally think i'm more choleric over sanguine and i have reasons for that so i thought you were more phlegmatic but let's hear your reasons first. Why I thought I would be choleric? Yeah. Okay, so cholerics like to do work. You know, they, they'll they just work and get things done. And that's what they like to do. And it's got to be my way or the highway. Um, even though I don't think that I'm a natural born leader by any means. I don't like to be a leader. I like to help, but I don't like to be a leader. Um But my thing is when I'm stressed, I like to do work as a distraction. Like Mike knows if I get stressed or depressed or anxious or angry, I will just clean things or make stuff or give myself some kind of project to just distract myself from whatever problem I'm having. And that's kind of what, why I thought I would be a bit more choleric. Um, but, uh, but yeah, apparently. He thinks I'm more sanguine or phlegmatic. Phlegmatic, yeah. Yeah, because I don't like conflict, which is also true. Yeah, you really like to please everyone Yeah, and follow the rules and do whatever people ask of you and stuff like that. Yeah. It can sometimes be a bit of a pushover, right? Yes. <laughs> and those are kind of phlegmatic things. Yeah. So I was surprised that I got... Choleric is the second. I was not surprised to see melancholic. Sanguine. You got sanguine. Oh, sanguine. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I was not surprised to see melancholic. It made perfect sense. See, to me, I would have, I would definitely have said melancholic and then shotgun is uh, sanguine. Because if anybody knows you, you are just, you are just one of the funniest people that I know, period. Really know me to know that. Yeah, but like, I mean, once you're once you're comfortable with people, though, like, and and they start to know who you are, like, you're you're just like no holds barred. You just want to make people laugh, which I I mean, and it's something you're good at, Mike. Mike had, I mean, Mike laughs at my jokes maybe thirty percent of the time. Ninety five percent of your jokes, Mike's giggling at, like. (laughs) It is, it is, you have a gift. You have a gift. And I, yeah, I would have, I would have said definitely (laughs) that you were a sanguine minor. (laughs) Yeah. But that's insightful, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm not an open book. So it's like, I'm, I think I'm friendly with everybody, but I don't like to be vulnerable with everybody. And, or I feel, well, there's nothing really to lose in a certain situation or I'm really comfortable, then 
I can really just the pajamas are on and the Mrs. Warp pictures are coming out. <laughs> That's just it. Um, only my real friends know that. <laughs> and all the podcast listeners now. Yes. Yes. Um, but that just does sound like the perfect description of a sanguine uh, melancholic, right? Mm-hmm. You, only, you only let the sanguine out with your few close friends. Yeah. And to everyone else you let the melancholic side show more. Well, because right? I'm reserved and I'm an introvert. So it's like, mm-hmm. I like small, tiny tea parties, not really big groups. Mm-hmm. They stress me out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there yeah. you have it. So what did you guys, what, what did you guys think my personality would be? Sanguine. Sanguine. 100% sanguine. None of the other ones. No, well, I wouldn't be maybe sa- melancholic only when listening to emo music. <laughs> melancholic only when listening to uh, the last best Me Without You album and realizing things changed later. The new album's not that bad for the record, but um, <laughs> so I would say I would say sanguine first and then choleric second. So, so here it is, friends. So, I am definitely more melancholic. My mm-hmm. predominant personality, according to this test, is melancholic. Sanguine is right underneath. Um, then choleric, then phlegmatic. When I was doing the test with Julie, kind of looping back to what Mike was asking about, I was walking her through we were kind of doing it side by side and we were going through the questions and read the questions. And I would say, what would you say about me, Julie? And she would say, Oh, like, you know, uh, gets angry easily disagree. And I would be like, strongly agree, you know? (laughs) And she would be like, what? You know? So, um, yeah, it's, It's one of those things where I am, I can tell you right now, like I'm reading the, uh, the, the definition of melancholic on this website, which we'll, uh, we'll put in our show notes at theologyofthebuddy.com. And you can do the test yourself at home and have fun. Uh, do it with your spouse. It'll, it'll, it could be a really fun date night thing. Um, So it says here, the melancholic temperament is fundamentally introverted and thoughtful. Melancholic people often were perceived as very or overly pondering and considerate, getting rather worried when they could not be on time for events. (laughs) Uh, That's a joke for me. I'm never on time. Um, (laughs) Melancholics can be highly creative in activities such as poetry and art. See the band can say and truth left standing and what's the other band name after exile exile. (laughs) (laughs) um and can be become preoccupied with the tragedy and cruelty in the world this is why i told my mom stop talking to me about conspiracy theories and giving me the news brief of everything that's on fire because i can't handle it um often they are perfectionists um self-reliant and independent 
hashtag only child. One negative part of being a melancholic is that they can get so involved in what they are doing, they forget to think of others. That is 110% true. 110% true for me. I get, sometimes when I get in my own head, dude, like, family be damned, as Kennedy Hall would say. Like, I am just, yeah, it. it's not good for a marriage to be like that. So you really have to fight it. You really mm-hmm. have to fight it. Um, now, again, um, these are all in extremes, right? So yeah. like some of these definitions are in extremes because that's how we understand things a little bit better and they better illustrate, you know, the overall personality yeah. and help us relate to things a little bit better, too. Right. Yeah. It's an abstraction. Obviously, you know, the four temperaments were not, you know, passed down from God in the scriptures or anything like that. They're a, a human creation that attempts to describe our personality. Mm-hmm. So you can't say that they're hundred percent perfect, but they've kind of proven the test of time. Unlike a lot of modern methods. Mm-hmm. So I tend to think they're a useful way of describing things. Yeah. yeah. Like for example, Chris was saying that it was a joke about being on time. I think we all know here that sometimes penny time is a little bit slower. Uh, often you guys are a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Trying not to be mean. <laughs> yeah. But Chris knows it. He's yeah. like, just no, burning everyone. I'm so sorry. Episode. But me, I need to be on time. My bag will be packed like weeks before I go on a trip because I need to know that I'll be exactly where I said I would be at a very specific time. And I... I time everything out very, very well. And Mike knows this. I freak out if I think I'm going to be late. And I'm just praying the whole time I'm going somewhere. I don't want to be late. Please get me on time. But but part of that is that because you're afraid of disappointing the person on the other end waiting for you. Yes, I am. You know? It's most types working together there. Yeah. And this is one of the things where like, the personality of your spouse can be in conflict conflict with yours when like my family will be like, Oh, come by like two ish in Brooke's brain. That is you be here by two o'clock or we're not speaking to you ever again. And in my brain, it's like, if you show up sometime between noon and four, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm just being all phlegmatic, like, yeah, we get ready whenever. And Brooke's having a panic attack because I'm not like ready to go yet. But, 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 and here's, here's my personality take. You say be here by two ish. And I say, crap, I can't be there till three, but you want to know what, if they don't like it, they can deal with it because you know what? They love me and they, if they don't love me, well, you know, whatever, like screw them. I don't, I don't know. I'm on me. <laughs> How dare they impose a time on How, me like and it, tell me to be here? Yeah, if they that time. if they can't love me because I'm late, then they've never really loved me at all. That's that's the mentality, <laughs> you know. So yeah, and oh, that's and that's the choleric and the the melancholic going hand in hand. That's the independent. Yeah. Like I want my own kind of, I want my own way, but at the same time, I'm like. I don't know. I'm angry about it. <laughs> yeah, clerics are are more likely to to get angry. 
Yeah. And, and stay angry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the worst part about being a melancholic, speaking of like long lasting emotions is if you hurt someone that's a melancholic or they experience some kind of trauma or I don't know, big or small, we remember it like, like super clearly. Yep. We just can't just forget about it. It's, you just can't forget about it. How, you know, there I go again. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you just can't. It's stuck with you. So like, you know, you know, you get, I don't know, heartbroken by somebody several years ago, like, you know, you lose a best friend or something, you you still still think about it. And, you know, those feelings just don't heal up. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you dwell on them, which is a horrible, horrible weakness of the melancholic because we dwell on things for a really long time. Yeah, the the weird thing that I think Mike could probably attest to as well is like, like what you're describing. That's, that's me. So the fact that like (laughs) the fact that you think I'm more sanguine kind of blows my mind because he knows, he knows in particular that like when I've been hurt, like, or gone through a trauma, it takes years (laughs) sometimes (laughs) to heal and, uh, and to move on. So yeah. So that's, and maybe we can kind of divert here really quick. So with, with this idea of the temperament, there are, there are faults or predominant faults that, that are associated with them. You know, one of the, the faults that is associated with melancholy is, um, is despair is the sin of acedia. Uh, or the or the vice of acedia, right? Or or a spiritual sadness um, that you know some people just call it laziness, but but acedia in its true form is a form of spiritual sadness. It's a form of despair, despairing in God's goodness, and um, and essentially an, a turning inward and and um, yeah, just uh, going about it all well, on your he- own. Yeah. What was me? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I've had to fight through a lot, a lot. Like, do, do we have a list of some, some faults that are associated with each of the temperaments? Yeah. Yeah. So for example, this is going off of Julia Monin's description. Uh, Some of the faults of the cleric would be impatient, domineering, bossy, insensitive, unwilling to delegate and de- and get depressed when life is out of control and people don't want to do things their way. If we're looking at the phlegmatic, I'm looking at Mike, mm-hmm. the key weaknesses would be lack of decisiveness and enthusiasm, procrastinator, and gets depressed when life is full of conflict. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I was wondering the same thing. <laughs> because there's a shed outside that's taking like Three months to finish. Because Brooke keeps procrastinating. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she should get that shed done. Wow, (laughs) take forever. Too funny. The shed is literally outside this window. Like, hello, (laughs) I'm not done yet. (laughs) And it's going to take about six years for Brooke to forgive me for taking so long to finish the shed. <laughs> I am hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Butt hurt. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> okay, so for the sanguine, their key weaknesses are restless, disorganized, not good with money, can't remember details, and they get depressed when life is no fun and no one seems to love them. And Julia was saying they get sad when people don't think they're cute. Yeah. Like your like daughter? If you, were to ask, if you were to ask someone if you're cute and they say you're silly instead. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little burned about that, actually. Probably going to hold on to that one for another six months. <laughs> for the record, just just because everybody needs to hear this. So at after Mass today, by the way, happy Feast of Christ the King um, in the past for those who are listening. But after the Mass today, uh, we're outside and we're hanging out with uh, with Evangeline uh, Brooks and Mike's daughter. And I, uh, I, we have our baby John with us. And she she's talking about how cute baby John is. And I said to Evangeline, basically that if people think that baby John is cute and they also think baby John looks like me, what does that make me? And Evangeline said, silly. (laughs) I'm so burned. I'm so burned about it. Again, it's like cute. It's like every girl in high school. It's just like every girl in high school. Just breaking my heart. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so continuing on. the so the key weaknesses of a melancholic are easily depressed, too focused on details, remembers the negative, and they get depressed when life is out of order, standards aren't met, and no one seems to care. Brooks just like oof, all of those were like daggers in the heart (laughs) i hate it because again i have to like be vulnerable and be like this is what hurts me (laughs) (laughs) i think the sanguine flies out when it's like it's almost like a defense like look how happy i am but inside i'm screaming (laughs) that's funny Mm, yeah yeah inside but you know whatever but but again, I would say that there are some positive aspects, right? I mean, we're kind of fo- focusing on some of the negative um, as well. Um, but I mean, for a melancholic, you know, being being predisposed to um, reflection and things like that—that's a—that's a good. And our Lord had that. Yeah. You know, our Lord had that kind of personality where he would go and he would go away and pray. You know, he would Mm -hmm. and be okay with being alone with the with uh, with the father and in the desert for 40 days. No big deal. Melancholics are able to like retreat into their mind and think, you know, because that's what we do. We live in our heads. Um, You know, when Julia was saying that people who are melancholics are often artists and, you know, stuff like that. I was like, yeah, because we think a lot and we, we contemplate things very, very differently and we feel emotions very, very intensely. So we're able to use our creative side to, I don't know, illustrate that in whatever medium you want to want to use basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Mike, again, probably can, can attest to this. When I would do 
the majority of my writing of music was in probably my darkest period of life. That was when I, mm-hmm. when my creativity took off, you know, um, and it, and it came out, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. So. so maybe the opposite way of thinking about these temperaments is since we've gone through the predominant faults, you can think about it like um, when you're trying to grow in virtue, I almost want to learn how to think like a melancholic or like be a bit of a melancholic in mental prayer and the same with the other virtues of four temperaments, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to become a saint, you got to act like all four of these in some sense, right? Well, yeah, everything has to be tempered, right? Everything has to be subject to subject to the will. And when someone is perfectly tempered, you know, with these temperaments, then they're able to demonstrate all of those virtuous sides of those temperaments, you know, very, very well. And they've mastered those virtues. Okay. All the good things about phlegmatics. I'm ready. Uh, (laughs) I'm just teasing. So their key strengths um, are balance, even disposition, dry sense of humor, which is great. And a pleasing personality. I love how that's a strength, dry sense of humor. Because mm. it's almost like it's inoffensive humor. No one can be offended. By it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like dad jokes? Is that my personality type? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Julie would say, no, those hurt me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Julie hates dad jokes. It's weird. It's weird. Um, but yeah, you know, again, talking about that that need of going against our own personality types or temperaments in terms of our faults and trying to grow in those other ways. You know, if we, if we're trying to be saints, this is what we've got to do. And even when it's difficult, even when we're going through difficult times, we have to kind of, again, hold our emotions subject to our intellect and our will I was reading from just an absolute gem of a book called The Context of Holiness, and I think I've talked about it before on the show, but it's talking about essentially the the -the behind-the-scenes stuff that was going on in Therese's life and personality um, from like a psychological perspective. Um, That's St. Therese of the In the last year of her life, So this is when the suffering was going through the roof for her. She was, you know, dealing with tuberculosis. Things were not good for Therese. Her, in the last year of her life, she made the choice to work with a woman by the name of Sister Marie of St. Joseph. If can I can I quickly read this to you? Maybe we can kind of end off with this, if you're okay with that. Yeah, uh, am I am I jumping the gun at all? That sounds good to me because we've got a long podcast on our hands already. Yeah. So, so Sister Marie, this is from the context of holiness, uh, and uh, the author. Uh, 
not sure of his name again. I'll put it in the show notes. He says, quote, Sister Marie of St. Joseph was subject to severe mood swings. One moment she would be overly exuberant, and in the next moment she would be in the depths of depression. Today she would probably be diagnosed as being bipolar or manic depressive. She was also subject to fits of violent outbursts of anger. Because of her unstable and volatile personality, all of the nuns kept their distance. In consequence, Sister Marie lived on the fringes of the community. She worked alone in the linen room because no one was willing to work with her. Over time, she became a very lonely and isolated human being. But there was a ray of hope for Sister Marie. Her name was Therese. Now, uh, just as a side note, moving from this quote, St. Therese was woefully melancholic. And she she was given to bouts of depression and all of that and liked to be on her own. As a kid, she walked the uh, like the schoolyard alone and all of the kids thought she was weird. It was, you know, she, she, she was a melancholic. So he goes on to say, quote, sister Marie went to the prioress and asked permission to re- receive guidance from Therese because she perceived in Therese both an understanding heart and a non-judgmental mind. The secret griefs of Sister Marie became known to Therese, griefs with which Therese could identify. Like Therese, Sister Marie had lost her mother at a young age and knew the pain of being an outsider. Therese's own pain gave her the eyes to see Sister Marie in a way that no one else could. Quote, If you knew her well as I do... Therese said to Pauline, you would see that she is not responsible for all the things that seem so awful to us. Again, there are, there's always going to be opportunities for us to grow in that, in that realm of virtue um, and to go against our own wants and desires and kind of predispositions Another quick side note about Therese, right? Therese loved her family. Therese was so well connected to her family that when Pauline left and joined the convent, it threw her into a deep depression. And yet, yet, with all that in mind, when Therese went and joined that same convent, at times of recreation... Pauline testified, she, quote, never went out of her way to meet her own three blood sisters. She chatted with any nun, no matter who she was, and especially with anyone she felt was lonely or left out, going against that melancholic personality, right? So, you know, maybe this week, maybe a challenge for for ourselves and our listeners, take this uh, little temperaments test and ask the question, how can I take aim at my predominant faults and, and seek to, to go against them and go and try to grow in those other, um, in those other positive aspects of the other temperaments. Mm-hmm. Good idea. Do you yeah. guys have any other final thoughts? No. I I think that's great. Chris, what are you going to do? You and I are both melancholic, so we might be able to help each other out. That's a good question. I think 
honestly, <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually, instead of spending my time griping about the church, um, I am, because <laughs> I do that way too friggin' much, and thinking about it and obsessing about what's happening and what's going on. I'm going to look for ways to serve serve Julie better this week. So, your domestic so, church. Pardon? Your domestic church. Yeah. Like your home, your domestic church. Yeah. So, look for maybe maybe plan a date and take Julie on a date and look for ways specifically that that she would feel loved. You know, get out of my own head and think about what kind of date would I really love and really think about what would she love because Julie being the kind of personality that she is, she just kind of goes, I'll do whatever, you know? Um, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's okay. He'll eat whatever. Um, <laughs> but I don't know uh, what yeah. you want, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's what I'm going to, gonna do what are you gonna do brooke Ugh, i don't you, know you did this to yourself brooke you didn't have to ask <laughs> i did do it to myself um maybe i don't know i need someone to tell me what to do what are you phlegmatic or something oh my goodness yeah i don't know i'll have to think about it but uh when i when i think about it i will i will say something <laughs> maybe we'll take suggestions from the vibs i'll take it i'll take that yeah because here's the thing melancholics have a hard time making snap decisions we like to think things over and be very calculated yeah. because then it's you're less likely to get hurt or fail <laughs> yeah. and uh we phlegmatics just don't like to make decision decisions at all. Do you see my pain? <laughs> <laughs> we complete each other. <laughs> anyway, there yeah. you have it. Just a last a last quote talking about do you see what we have to deal with? For for those of us who are married in in our domestic church, God has intentionally put us with our spouses. Just like they, he puts, you know, put Therese in the same convent as Sister Marie to to perfect us. Um, Saint John of the Cross writes, "You should understand that those who are in the monastery are craftsmen, placed there by God to mortify you by working and chiseling at you, so you become worthy of heaven." And so, yeah, just remember your spouse you know, in your little domestic church, they're that, they're that craftsman that God has put there. So maybe ask your spouse what you need to work on this week. Maybe that's, maybe that's more of the idea. Maybe we can ask them too, what we need to work on. I got a, I got a gleam of power in his eyes. <laughs> Scared me. <laughs> Not at all. All right. Well, this is going to hurt me. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you again very much to everyone for listening to this bit of a longer podcast. But I, I don't know. I, I, 
I've received a lot of value from this conversation and it's inspired me to, to really pursue virtue more. So hopefully you've, you're finding that yourselves and our listeners are finding that as well. Uh, hit us up on social media. Let us know what you think. You can find us at Theology of the Buddy. Uh, you can email us at theologyofthebuddy at gmail.com. Make sure you visit our website, theologyofthebuddy.com, for all of our past episodes and show notes. And we'll see you next week. And until then, stay, stay true. Try. Try.